I want to talk to you for just a few moments here this morning, and then we're going to gather for the ones that want to gather. I, I feel like the waters are troubled here, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I do better prophetic in the second service than the first because I'm a little weary in the first, you know what I'm saying? You just have to take it cranked up here. <laughs> but uh, I know God's going to do uh, incredible things in inspire church and like i said last week folks it's not because i'm here it's because number one he's here and you are gathered here amen so just just keep keep first things first amen amen this is uh this is what happens and i get the privilege and honor of coming in and stepping to the waters that are already troubled and that means good trouble that means they're moving right for moving for miracles. In, in 1815, a letter was uh, allegedly written by composer uh, Wolfgang Mozart. Anybody heard of Mozart? Sure we have. And it was published by the German General Music uh, uh, Journal. In this letter... Mozart depicted his personal process of creating and inventing new music. And uh, I'm going to read what the letter, what he said in this letter. This is the maestro himself. He says, when I am, as it were, completely myself, entirely alone and of good cheer, say, traveling in a carriage or walking after a good meal, or during the night when I cannot sleep. It is on these occasions when my ideas flow best and most abundantly. All this fires my soul, and provided I am not disturbed, my subject enlarges itself, becomes methodized and defined, and the whole, though it may be long, stands almost finished and complete in my mind so that I cannot survey it like a fine or or so that I can survey it like a fine picture or a beautiful statue at a glance. Nor do I hear in my imagination the parts successfully, but I hear them as it were all at once. When I proceed to write down my ideas, the committing of paper is done quickly enough. For everything is, and as I said before, already finished. And it rarely differs on paper what it was in my imagination. That was the letter. Powerful writing, powerful principles, isn't it? Powerful thoughts, because I know what I'm going to preach. I found the secret, and when I think of uh, Tiger Woods and, and, and uh, uh, Michael Jordan, it really doesn't go along with this, and you're going to know in just a moment. But when you read Mozart's letter, Mozart's letter reinforced what most believe transpires in the minds of people who are incredibly uh, gifted and talented. You could call them 
geniuses, you could call them prodigies. Uh, and according to Mozart, remember the letter I just read now, he said some pretty poignant things. According to Mozart, the genius just has to eat a good meal, take a quiet walk, uh, suppress the noises around him, close his eyes, and he, he just simply receives uh, brilliant melodies that are already in perfect tune and, and, and in full form. So this letter of Mozart, it carried the idea of instant, effortless, creative work. But there's just one problem here. That letter that I read to you that was written by Mozart in 1815, it proved to be a fake. It wasn't Mozart. It was a fake letter. It was proved forgery in 1856 by Mozart's bio uh, uh, biographer named Otto Jan. And despite... Despite its long, uh, its forged status, that legend of Mozart's letter continued on. But it embellished and it tainted the process of creating. And it ended up doing more harm than it did good. Because you have two different extremes here. You have the people that want to be a genius, and so they're going to buy the letter, and they're going to go buy the letter, they're going to go eat a good meal, and then take a simple walk in the park, and then close their eyes, suppress the noise, and then automatically they think that genius is going to happen to them. And it doesn't. And so you have these people that will think, well, I'll never accomplish anything. I'll never be able to be anything because I was not born a prodigy. Hello, somebody. The diametrical opposite of, of inexplicable genius, do you know what the opposite of? It's pragmatic iteration. Iteration. The word iterate is a term that you'll hear in, you'll hear, you'll hear engineers, computer engineers. You'll, you'll hear that word used. Coders use that word a lot, iterate. Because the word iterate means to do and say the same thing over and over and over again. It's a nice word. But it's got a simple meaning. It just means to repeat the same thing over and over again. So if you're saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, you're iterating. If you're jumping up and down on a skip rope, one, two, three, you're iterating. So the diametrical opposite of uh, inexplicable genius is just simple, pragmatic iteration. Doing the same thing over and over again. So instead of instant and, and sudden creative work performed by a, 
an individual of remarkable talent, you have this slow, (laughs) this incremental work that's done by an average person. Iteration is just, it's like a slow chipping away. It's a carving process, right? It's just slowly doing the same thing over and over again. It is, uh, it's never given up because you can't give up if you're going to complete the process. There's nothing alluring or attractive about iteration. It's not magical. It's not majestic. It's sweat. It's commitment. It's effort. And it's a dogged persistence to continue so the process can be finished. Iteration is a feeling after a long, hard day of uncertainty that you've been working on that project, but you leave it at the end of the day still not knowing even if you're headed in the right direction. I think of people who really, really demonstrated the principle of iteration. One of them to me is Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill is a beautiful, powerful example of iteration. He was a prolific writer. His writings writings included 14 major works. Many of these works were multiple volumes. He had a total of 27 bound physical books with all volumes counted. He got his start earning extra money by sending war reports back to the uh, News British Agency back in London. His diligence early on developed a skill in him that would end up being a career. And eventually, Churchill will become the voice that really was the strength of the whole continent of Europe. In 1958, he was awarded the Nobel Prize uh, for literature of his mastery of historical and biographical descriptions as well as his own oratorical ability. But Churchill's brilliance was rooted not in genius, but it was rooted in the iterative process. He pounded out words until the words bled. He would walk through the Aberality House in London, pacing the floor, back and forth, uttering words to himself and his secretary and and his cat. He would practice words for hours. He would rehearse phrases for hours. All hours of the night, he would practice a phrase or a line of poetry for weeks upon weeks before he would allow it to give birth in a speech. And by writing and rewriting stories, poetry, phrases, speeches, Churchill proved that the pen was mightier than the sword. Night after night. His assistants 
would try to keep up with him. And he'd be pacing back and forth and he would make a phrase, say a phrase, and then he'd holler, scratch that, scrub it, it's no good. In the summer of 1938, he burned through many secretaries and stenographers. <laughs> they would try to, they would try to keep, keep up with him and uh, just, just could not do, do it. They would... They actually shift, did shift work around the clock so they could write what he was saying. There's another man who reminds me of uh, iteration, and that's President Abraham Lincoln. I like what Leo Tolstoy in 1909, wrote this. He said this, The greatness of Napoleon, Caesar, or Washington is only the moonlight to the son of Lincoln. His example is universal. And it will last a thousand years. He was bigger than his country. He was bigger than all presidents together. And as a great character, he will live as long as the world lives. Isn't that powerful? So Abraham Lincoln was raised in poverty. His father could not read or write. Abraham Lincoln's mother, sister, and brother all died while he was growing up. So Lincoln's life would become a story of determination. He would read and read and read his way out of poverty. He read Shakespeare so much that he could virtually quote anything that Shakespeare said. As president, Lincoln could be seen many times taking little bits of paper and, and writing down a line, writing down a thought. And then he would stick, stick them deep in his pocket. And when it came time for him to make a major speech... He would take these little bits of paper that he had written, thoughts, fragments of a speech, and stick them in his top hat and pull them out and make a speech. Abraham Lincoln performed according to his preparation, not his intelligence and not his education. Let me say that again. That's a powerful statement. He performed according to his preparation, not his education and not his intelligence. Mozart was playing the piano and blowing people's minds at age five. So that's a prodigy. Yes, I'm not, I'm not saying it isn't. But I also read where he had such a phenomenal Dedicated work ethic. He worked hours and hours a day. Weeks, long weeks at a time and months. Just on one concerto. He worked two years on that. And so this letter that was written was a fake. Because it made it look like that Mozart never had to work at all. 
It made it look like that he could just eat a good meal, take a long walk, and just receive this incredible download of the greatest music we would ever listen to. Now, if Mozart's letter, if it wasn't a fake, then that would be good news for us because we would have an archetype of genius. In other words, if that letter was real, we would have an archetype of genius. We would know what genius looks like. And we could adopt those principles and secrets of how to get rich. How to be the greatest composer in the world. But there's no shortcuts to success. And I'm sure if that letter was real, I'm sure there would be someone in this world that would try to take fragments of Mozart's DNA and clone little mini Mozarts. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But that's not the way it is. Now, why did you say that, Lord? I said that to say this. What if we learned the secret to victory? What if we knew the secret to the supernatural? What if we actually learned how to be more than a conqueror? Can you imagine taking the word of God and, and, and actually just, just walking it out? That covenant that you and I have been placed in where God said, whatever your hands touch, I'm going to make it to prosper. Wherever your feet walk, it's yours. I'm, I'm going to bless you in the city, bless you in the field, bless you going out, bless you coming in. That can happen. And that is supposed to happen. But it's not a genius experience. It's a faithful experience. Paul said above all, I want you to be faithful because the battle, the victory is not given to the one who runs the swiftest. But it's given to that person who learns to endure to the end. See, there is an iteration anointing upon you. That's why we come every Sunday, because we realize it's the process. That's why we come every Wednesday. It's a process. You're just not going to have this magic experience where you come down. Oh, my Lord. Where you come down the altar and, yeah, I want to be saved. And then we never see you again. You walk out of here. And say, I don't need a pastor. I don't need to belong to a church. You're walking right into the trap of the enemy. And you're going to end up worse before than you did when you come. Because the enemy knows he doesn't care if you come to church once or twice. He'll convince you that you're a genius. He'll convince you that you are so smart and you've got such a strong, y'all hear me. You got such a strong willpower and you're such a good person that you don't need all that religion stuff. You don't need all that church stuff. And so he's going to convince you to leave and just leave it all alone. Now it's all done. It's all done. But if he ever, ever, if you ever uncover the secret to success, the iteration, the process, the, 
the iteration of praising him. Oh, my Lord. Praising him in the good times. Praising him in the bad times. That's the iteration process. The iteration of praising him when you're in the valley. The iteration of praising him when you're on the mountaintop. The iteration of praising him when you don't feel like praising him. Going to church when you don't even feel like going to church. Reading your Bible when you feel like your eyes are burning. But it's all in the process. It's all a process. And I'm telling you right now, the reason why I'm preaching this simple little message here is because God is putting a new, fresh anointing of iteration on you. And you're going to look up and say, come hell or high water, I'm going through. I'm going to finish the race. I'm going to complete the course. Nothing is going to stop me. Nothing is going to turn me around. Nothing will ever make me throw the towel in and quit. David said, praise the Lord. Psalms 113 and 1, praise the Lord, all you servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising up. He had it right there. He knew it. David knew it. David knew I'm not a genius. (laughs) I'm just a shepherd boy. I'm not strong. I don't have muscles. But I don't understand it. While my brothers, while these soldiers of Israel will not go out and face Goliath. What I do have going is I love God. I love to worship. I love to worship in the morning. I love to worship in the noontime. I love to worship in the evening. What he didn't know was God was raising up a giant killer just through the iteration, repeating the process, doing the same thing over and over and over again. It may be boring to you, but when you understand that destiny is all over your worship, destiny is all over your faithfulness, you will never quit. And that's what David knew. That's what he understood and he had. It's a process. He said, I'll praise him in the morning. I'll praise him in the noontime. My prayers will be as an evening sacrifice. Anybody hear me? Evening sacrifice. And then there was another part of Psalms where he said, seven times a day will I praise him. And then that iteration anointing got a hold of him. And once you start working at something and you go and you and you break through that defeat wall, it becomes easier And you don't, it's not a drag then. You look forward to rising up and putting your hands through the plow and working that thing. And that's the way it is with going to church. That's the way it is with worshiping and praising God. The more he did it, the more he wanted to do it. He ended up seven times. And then he said, ah, this is so beautiful. I can't even put a number on the times of praises I want to give him. So I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. The name of the Lord is to be praised. David said in Psalms 27 and 4. One thing have I desired. And that will I seek after. (laughs) That I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What? Oh yeah. Yeah, because see, I've, it's a process. Because every time I go to the house of the Lord, I'm becoming stronger. Every time I lift my hands, I'm becoming more free. 
every time I close my eyes and sing with the praise team, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. I feel like more blessings are coming on my life. Every time I look at my children and say, children, it's church time. We're going to go to the house of God. Oh, my Lord. I know greater favor is coming on my life. Greater blessings are in store for me. Even my destiny may be getting bigger than what I can imagine. What if your blessing, what if your praise and the iteration actually, what if you just understood that in his presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore? Think about that. I want to show you something in scripture in closing while they come to the music. God made a covenant with Israel. And to me, when I read this yesterday, all the lights come on in my head. I've read this so many times. But I want you to understand. Now, I want you to think of that word iteration. Iteration. Just repeating the process. Why do you go to church every week? (laughs) You'd have to be there to really understand. Why do you take your children to church? Well, you'd have to be there to understand. It's all about his presence. And I never get tired of going to church. I never get tired of giving. I never get tired of worshiping God. I never get tired of, of praising his name. It, it just, I can't explain it. You just have to experience the process. Look at this. Deuteronomy 6. I think they've got it up there. Do you have it? Wave to me if you have it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Look at this. Now, I want you to think about what you're reading, and I want you to think of that process. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, To keep all of his statutes and all of his commandments, which I command you, you and your, who is it now? You and your sons and your, your daughters, your grandsons, all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it. That I, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God or as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel. Here goes the iteration process now. You got to get this in your spirit. You got you to gotta walk it out every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently. The iteration, repeat, repeat, repeat. Over and over and over again. You will teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house. You're in the process. 
And when you lie down in your house, you're in the process. And when you rise up in the morning, are you in the process? You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as a frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So shall it be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you large. This is what's in store for us because we're of the covenant of Abraham. We have been grafted into that covenant. And so don't think small. Think big because the best is waiting for you. The best is yet to come. Which the Lord God swore to Abraham. Isaac and Jacob to give you large and beautiful cities. Watch this now. Which you did not build. How many is ready to receive houses you didn't even build? Blessings you don't even deserve. Houses full of good things. Which you did not fill. Hewn out of hewn out walls which you didn't even dig. Vineyards and olive trees, which you did not even plant when you have eaten and are full. Then beware lest you forget. (laughs) You can't let up. Beware lest you forget. You can't say, well, now I know it all, God. I don't need you now. I don't need church anymore. I don't need a pastor anymore. I don't need to pray anymore. I don't need to fast anymore. Uh -uh. Beware. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out from the house of bondage. (laughs) You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. Wow. You shall not go after other gods. The gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Stand to your feet, everybody. Do you remember when you started your, that job last year or that latest job? Some of you might have been working on the same job for 20 years or 30 years. How many has been working at the same job over five years? Anybody? Wave to me. Look at that. How many's worked at a job over... Anybody worked at a job over 20 years, the same job? Wave to me. How many years, my brother? 40 years. Is that, sir, how many? <laughs> you are one distinguished looking statesman gentleman. I salute you, sir. How many years? 53 years. Can I ask you what you did? You did. You're retired now, right? You worked 53 years. 
at a steel company, Dr. Hurt. Wow. Can you remember, I don't know, can you remember like the first day or week you started that job? Approximately. Uh, I'm not telling, I'm not asking you the date. I'm asking you because I'm bringing out a point. You were probably a little nervous. 66. My Lord, he remembers a year. 1966. You remember when you first start went into business? You were probably a little little bit of anxiety. Yes or no? Yeah. Can you remember when you first started your job or that business? <laughs> you uh, you were you was probably more nervous than you were excited. My daughter Kristen's in her was she in her second year, right, honey? And uh, at law school at Texas A and M. And uh, she, uh, she, she called us last week. And she said, I need you all to pray for me. I'm, I'm ner- nervous. Said, Pamela said, well, why are you nervous? She said, because I'm, uh, it's like a, uh, it's like a clinic. And if you're in medical school, it would be like a, almost like a residency, right? You're going to start working with patients, right? Well, she's going to start working with clients next week. And it's like a clinic. And she's nervous. I said, honey, it's the process. It's iteration, baby. You may be nervous now, but if you stick with it, if you just don't give up, and just keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> just keep it simple. Just read. Just study it. See, you're not a genius. But you're a champion. And that's the difference. I believe it was Michael Jordan never even made the team when he was in school. Somebody got a hold of him. He said, Michael, you're not a prodigy. But if you'll go to the gym every day and just start taking and dribbling that ball. I know it's going to be times when your other friends are going to want you to go and hang out and have a good time. But see, if you're going to be somebody, if you're going to do something, if you're going to be separated, then you're going to have to be dedicated. You're going to have to separate yourself and work the iteration process over and over, oh, and over and over and over again. And that's what he did. That's what he did. He will tell you he was not an extra gifted athlete. If you ask him what's the secret to his success, he'll say it's hard work. Nobody worked harder than me. Nobody worked harder than me. But I didn't want to be average. When I started bouncing that ball and started shooting it in the net, something inside of me, that's what happens, see? There's an anointing that rises up and says, I want to be the best I can be. I don't want to be the run of the mill, the mundane, the superficial, the mediocre. I want to be all I can be. 
And he kept working the process, working the process, working the process. I can't come and party today. I can't come and hang out with you dudes, man. I've got to go and work the process. I know I've got a great destiny. I've got a great future. But if I'm going to be everything I'm going to be, I'm going to have to pay the price of dedication and work. Come on, young people. I hope you're hearing me this morning. God's got a future so big for you. But you've got to dedicate and commit while everybody else wants you to party and play. You've got to be dedicated in your calling. I've got to read. I've got to study. I've got to work the process. Because if you will prepare in Intelligence has nothing to do with it. It's all in your preparation. That's why Esther was called by God. And she spent 12 months preparing for one moment with the king. 